So my name is James. If you don't know, I'm the pastor at Wellspring. I have the best job in the world. I love being here. We're super pleased to have you with us this morning. We've been going for a few weeks now on our series of the parables of Jesus. And as you've probably guessed, today we're going to be talking about the parable of the mustard seed. For the last few times I've preached, I've, I've picked really long parables. The parable of the unforgiving servant, which there's a lot there. It goes on a long while. And then I did the, what we call the prodigal son, which I think is more accurately called the loving father and his two lost sons. And those are really long parables with a lot to pick out. So I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll pick a short one. That'll be easier. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, well, that's okay too. And one of the things we will learn from today's sermon is just because something is small doesn't mean there's no potential there. In fact, in the kingdom of God, it is nearly always the opposite. Another warning, I really like history. That's like kind of my thing. My plan was to study history for my undergrad, actually, until a very well-meaning Christian said, James, you should study anything, just don't study philosophy. So guess what I study? (laughs) I studied philosophy because I'm a jerk, but I really love history. It's kind of my first love, and so I love drawing on it, and I love learning from the wonderful choices that some have made, and also learning from those less wise decisions that others have made before us and how we can try to learn from their examples. So let's begin with the first point of my sermon today. So we're going to look at the seed first. There's only two parts, the seed and the tree. And first we're going to be looking at the seed. I'll also say the first part of this sermon, the seed part, is a lot smaller than the second part, which is talking about the tree. So there's no irony in anything I say anymore. We want to remember this part. We want to remember the story of the seed of this small part by first remembering who it is that Jesus tells these parables to. Because to put it really bluntly, he's telling them to the little people. He's telling them to the people who at the time didn't have an awful lot of power or resources or significance. He had a couple of friends who had those things, but not many. The majority of the people following him, paying attention to him, were the people that didn't have an awful lot of anything. Tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and children and women, these are all people that didn't have an awful lot back then. But these little people, these mustard seeds, what this parable begins to show them is that as insignificant as they may feel, as insignificant as the world may treat them, that's not how he sees them. And often their efforts might feel unimpressive. They might not feel impactful at the time. And I'm sure some of us feel that way too. What's really interesting to me is when I think about Jesus talking about giving money. Hey, we just talked to that for a second. There's only one real story that comes to mind. For all the countless people that gave incredible amounts of money to the temple, there's only one story that I think has remained with us after 2,000 years, and that is the widow that gives her two pennies. See how giving even the smallest amount, even the tiniest thing in the kingdom, can have an impact for thousands of years. Somehow it is this widow that we hear about. She is the one who is venerated. She is the one that we get to learn from all these millennia later. That's what the kingdom does. It takes something small and it makes it into something grand and it makes it into something beautiful. But remember, at the time, 
it would have been really ridiculous to hear those things. We get to look at them now. We get to look at 2,000 years of history, 2,000 years of everything Jesus saying would happen is, is kind of happened. You know, we've seen the expansion of Christianity. We've seen the world knowing his name. But at the time, that would have felt ridiculous. Like Jesus himself is kind of a mustard seed. He's not really that big of a deal. The people he's telling these stories to, the little people he's sharing them with, well, he's kind of little too. He's a rabbi with some amazing stories, absolutely, and some impressive miracles. But there's no way they could have known that this Nazarene guy that gets nailed to a cross by the Romans could have be the most influential character in history. Like Christian or not, it's just undeniable in terms of impact. This mustard seed is going to change everything. They couldn't have known that, but we get to know that now. So when we look at our efforts, and I I think this is really important, one of the great privileges of my role is that I know some of the struggles that people have here during their weeks. And sometimes those struggles can seem almost insurmountable. And it can feel that all the things we do feel so insignificant, that they're not making any difference. And so Jesus is trying to tell you here, and what I'm trying to remind you here, is that even the smallest things can make such an incredible difference in the kingdom. That size isn't everything. In fact, it's kind of the reverse. And the tiniest thing that you do, that might not even feel like much to you, can have an incredible impact on someone throughout the week, throughout the years, throughout their whole life. I've I've had time to think about this a little bit. And uh, I was thinking of a time when I was, I was like nine and... I was kind of trouble in school, obviously. Uh, it's hard to believe, right? Um, and, and it was kind of a rough time. Like, looking back, I think it was probably a fairly traumatic time in my life. Like, my dad was working a lot. My mom was in hospital. That was like an unstable time for a nine-year-old who's already a lot. <laughs> and, and my teacher, who I really didn't want to like this teacher, like, she was really strict. So, obviously, I didn't want a strict teacher. And at the start of the year, I really, really disliked this woman, Mrs. Mrs. Pedersen. And, but, but she clearly saw um, something, I don't know, in me or, or realized what was going on there and, and realized that with just a, a, little, a little encouragement, it could make the world of difference. And she, she made me that I was super into soccer at the time, uh, the supporter of Arsenal Football Club. Kevin isn't here. Like that was, it's a big shout out to Kevin. No excuses for him. Um, and she made me this like this like mini poster acronym thing that had like Arsenal, but it was an acronym, so it was like always try your hardest and like really don't shout out in class anymore and like <laughs> shut up when you're told to or something. Like I don't know, it was like more encouraging than that. But and and she uh, at the end of each uh, each week, she just hold me down behind for like five minutes and and give me like stickers and and stars and stuff for for the things that I'd done well in the week. And I tell you only because I don't think she remembers this at all. Like I'm pretty sure she doesn't. And yet it stuck with me. And here I am 25 years later telling you about the impact this had on me. And so if you feel discouraged by these tiny things that you do, please don't be. I think they matter more than we could possibly realize. 
Jesus has been proclaiming this truth for thousands of years, that in the kingdom, even the smallest thing that you do matters greatly. So, on to the second part. The tree. This is what a mustard tree looks like. I've spent a lot of time looking at mustard trees this week. Like, I'm really up on my biology right now. If you want to know anything about mustard trees, I'm your guy. So, I'm going to begin by telling you where I, what I understood this parable to mean. Um, bear in mind, again, you've got to be really gentle with my Sunday school teachers. Like, I wasn't there an awful lot, and it was pretty bad when I was. I wasn't really listening. But what I remember from Sunday school, and I didn't listen very much, admittedly, is that the mustard seed is a tiny seed. But once you planted it, it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And it took over everything. It was like this weed that just could not be stopped. And the kingdom of God is like that. It's like this thing that can't be stopped. And actually, when you look at what some of the things people were saying at the time, this kind of holds up. This is a guy called Pliny the Elder. He is a local governor slightly after the time of Jesus. He says this about mustard. I told you I like history. I'm super into this. It grows entirely wild. Once it's been sown, it's scarcely possible to get rid of it. So like an invasive species, this mustard just takes over everything. And when we look back at church history, well, it it kind of seems that people really took this to heart. When we think about the spread of Christianity, especially over the last few centuries, it begins to feel a bit more uncomfortable, I think, as, as those European settlers, and for those of you listening, settlers is in scare quotes there, arised on the shores of Asia and America and Africa. They brought their Christianity with them. They brought this inexorable force that spread over everything, that choked away all those other bad plants because this mustard plant is taking over. And once this mustard tree had taken over the entire world, we could say, well, Jesus' words have been fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven from its humble beginnings, and now it stands atop of creation, and every continent on earth is under its shadow. And that mindset of history, of conquest and colonization, by any means necessary. It, it makes a lot of sense if we understand the mustard tree and the mustard seed working this way. It makes a lot of sense if, much like me, and my not listening in Sunday school, you thought that's how mustard trees were seen back then. And this isn't the first time, nor will it be the last, that slightly misunderstanding the words of Jesus at the beginning can knock the trajectory just slightly, but over enough time and enough time and enough distance, the destination is very, very, very far from where we were supposed to be just because of that little trajectory jot, not really early on. We don't need to get into the horrors of what that has come to mean. But I think that Jesus chooses the mustard tree for a reason. He calls it the largest tree, uh, which, which it isn't, interestingly. 
Um, there are other trees that are bigger. So if it's not the largest tree, what is he saying? What else is it about the tree? The seed's small, the tree gets bigger. That's really interesting. But what's interesting, why does he choose this invasive species? Why does he choose this tree, this plant that like spills over into everything, that chokes other plants, that takes over by force? Because it really seems unlike Jesus. Kind of unlike his modus operandi the rest of the time. So let's go back to our guy, Pliny. As it turns out, Pliny's actually kind of into mustard. If you read those previous words, you would have thought that he wasn't. But it's the danger of just being very selective in what we're reading. But afterwards, he talks about how he enjoys its pungent taste and fiery effect. Like, who doesn't like hot dogs? He gets it. But what really blew my mind is is what I'm about to read to you now. That Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into this tree. But here's what Pliny has to say about this thing that I thought was just a weed up until a few days ago. He says mustard is extremely beneficial for the health. And it's helpful for the treatment of snake and scorpion bites, toothache, indigestion, asthma, epilepsy, constipation, lethargy, dropsy, tetanus sores, and other illnesses. Like, what other illnesses were there back then? Like, like leprosy and blindness, I thought. <laughs> but how cool is that? So far from being a weed that people wanted to get rid of, the mustard tree, the mustard plant was actually one that people wanted around. Not because it forced itself on them, but because it could provide what they needed. And even better, there was so much of it that everyone could have access to it. Because it was so easy to grow, everyone would have that access to it. To put a real modern-day spin on it, mustard trees are kind of seen as the first-century universalized healthcare. Which... I think most of us can agree is one of the best things that's happened to humanity recently. So the kingdom of God, this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing about first by showing us and then by expecting us to copy him and mirror him and imitate him, which starts so small, it can still be the thing that means that all are provided for, all can be healed, that no one goes without. And it will draw people to it, not because it forces itself upon them, but because it is good. And, and doesn't that kind of represent who Jesus is a lot more accurately to you? People weren't drawn to him because they were scared of what he'd do to them if they weren't close. They were drawn to him because they knew that there was something different about this guy. There was something that could make them better, that could make them whole. Like the woman with bleeding who like fights her way through the crowds because she's so drawn to Jesus as if only I can touch his cloak, if only I can get close to him, I know that he will make me better. Like she's drawn to him and the blind cry out to him, like make us well they want to be near Jesus and the cripples are like like hobbled or get carried towards him even but they're drawn to him they're brought to him because that's what Jesus does he draws us to him when we understand who he is and the more that people know about him the more they hear about him the more they understand him the more they're drawn to him and as the gospel is like build and build and build we hear about these swarms of people drawn to jesus because they know that he makes them well he they know that he loves them 
And those tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and all those people I mentioned earlier that don't have purpose or reason or shelter or belonging anywhere, they find it at the dinner table of the one they call Jesus and the one that we call King. Come to me, all you heart heavy laden, says Jesus, and you'll find rest in my shadow. Jesus is both the seed that had all that potential and the tree that so many were drawn to. And we get to be that too. Because the kingdom of God is here and it's real and that's what it looks like. And what's exciting for me is that early Christians, they really got this too. So more history, I know you can't wait. So the first few centuries were not a particularly easy time to be a Christian. There were various levels of persecutions happening, uh, but probably the worst one was what is known as the Decian persecution. Uh, This is after Emperor Decius in the mid-third century. And during this time, a terrible plague had broken out over the Roman Empire. It's estimated about 5,000 died per day. Like it destroyed cities and ruined families. Really, really awful stuff. And during this time, people would flee the cities because everyone was infected with the plague, so they wanted to get out. But Emperor Decius, in his wisdom decided that this was actually all the fault of the Christians because they weren't bending the knee to the Roman gods or ultimately to him either. Uh, And that gets you into quite a lot of trouble when you're not willing to bend the knee to Caesar. So he issued this like pogrom and it was awful. Anyway, we don't need to get into why that was so awful. But what's so beautiful about this time is that when Christians were being the most persecuted in the most horrendous ways, we hear about those cities where everyone else had left. Everyone had left the cities. There was just the dying and the Christians. The Christians stayed behind. And a guy called Eusebius, oh, there's people being drawn to Jesus, by the way. That's important. Um, A guy called Eusebius says this, all day long the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. He then goes on to state that because of the Christians' compassion in the midst of this plague, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. So do you see this beginning of this mustard tree kingdom? It's something that people are drawn to, not because they have no choice, not because it's forced on them, but because it gives them dignity and worth and respect when no one else will. It loves them when the world won't. And it loves them even when the world hates them. It provides us balm that doesn't run out, that mustard tree, that access to everything for everyone. Like, this is what the kingdom of God made real looks like. Like, right here, that's what it looks like. 
I was doing my research like a good historian, and some people say, well, Eusebius is a Christian, we can't trust him. I'm like, well, fine, okay. So there's another guy called Julian, and he's also known as Julian the Apostate, (laughs) which you get when you're not Christian, by the way. And this is about 100 years later. And Julian the Apostate is having some trouble that people keep converting from pagan, the Roman pagan religion, back to Christianity. And his priests keep writing to him, be like, we don't know what to do. Like, we have these great gods, they're awesome. And these guys worship a crucified Nazarene. Like, this is ridiculous. They call them the pious Christians. That's like the insult for Christians back then, the pious Galileans. But they like, how are we supposed to convince them when their God is so pathetic, and yet they keep flocking to him. And Julian's response is wonderful in its simplicity. It's, it's the simplest thing. He says, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. You want to know why they keep flocking back? You want to know why they're not interested? Because you say you care, but you don't. You say your gods are generous, but they're not. You want to know why? Because they support not only their poor, but ours as well. And this is, this is like the funniest thing, okay? The, the next thing he suggests to his priest, literally, he puts out an edict saying, act more like Christians. Like that's literally what he says. It's like, if you want to get converts, pretend you're Christian, act like converts. Again, literally, this is what he says. Be nice to strangers. Like, invite strangers into your home. Give them food. The Christian's doing that, and it's working gangbusters. Do more of that. Next thing he says, I promise you this is true. Like, 1,700 years ago, he's like, give money to the poor. (laughs) It's really working for the Christians. Let's do that too. But, like, what a cool and wonderful and beautiful thing that, like, the best thing we can suggest if you want to get numbers up is, like, maybe act like Christians. Because the kingdom of God is like people who show love so generously that we can't help but be drawn to it. So let's, uh, let's bring us up to speed on this. How, how are we doing on that nowadays? Like Christians in general. Like can you imagine if a business nowadays said, hey, look, numbers is down, we're losing a lot of money here, like what should we do? And the business consultant goes in and says, have you considered acting like Christians? <sighs> like we laugh, but it hurts, right? Like that's the worst thing we could do. It's like, no, no, no. Like, but, I mean, it's kind of the opposite nowadays. Like the meeting house, a, a church like that, and a Baptist, they're great. I really like the meeting house. I have a bunch of friends who are pastors there. They're amazing. But this is their like tagline, the meeting house, a church for people who aren't into church. So to bring you up to speed, the meeting house, the church with the most members in the GTA, they're the biggest church in Toronto. Their thing is a church for people who aren't into church. Like, something's gone wrong, right? Also, ironically, Meeting House are, like, way stricter than we are. So, for all that, we're not into... Well, I really like them, but... Let's, let's call ourselves the church of people who are into people and also Jesus. Like, let's... It's, like, less catchy. But I think it, like, really conveys how I feel about what this church is and what it can be. And, like, I know when, when I see people kind of evangelizing on the street corner, I don't... 
I don't see it in the same way. If that's what people have in their mind as an image of a Christian, I, I can't help but think, like, what healing are you offering? Like, what kind of mustard tree are you being here? How are you drawing people to you? Like, what balm are you offering? Like, you seem to want to scare them away from something else, but you don't want to offer them something that draws you to them. And maybe I just say this because I kind of, like, feel bad that I don't want to do it. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe there's a hierarchy, maybe there isn't. But I just think that things like showing hospitality is just incredible beautiful thing that we're like yeah but you know that's not as impressive as like going out really shouting about your faith and i'm like ah no kind of seems that jesus is for the hospitality piece i wanted to finish like a challenge today um but maybe 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 when i'm done we can just if people have um, a couple of instances of little things that have been really impactful for them. Maybe we can share those things together. Like, I'll, I'll run the mic around. It requires a couple of people to be brave. But I really like that idea. And uh, I'm, I'm constantly inspired by other people and inspired by the little things that make a big difference in our lives. And so it's not just me talking about a teacher from 25 years ago. Um, I wanted to finish with a challenge because for some reason I feel like I have to finish with a challenge. Like I'm not doing my job if I don't finish with a challenge. And I couldn't work out what it would be. Like I couldn't discern one. I was praying and God's like, you could just encourage them, James. I'm like, all right, God. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) So, yeah, like be encouraged because I think we do some of that stuff really well here. I think this community right now, we want to see ourselves as, as both seed and tree. But it, it feels small sometimes, like it does. And, and I rack my brain with, with what to do about that and how I can serve you better in that way. And, and how I and how we can all serve those potential members that we haven't met yet. But despite being something of a seedling, I think there is still an incredible and a beautiful job that's being done and something that people are drawn to. Like I've talked about homecoming being a real theme for this year. And I know just from some conversations I've had with people that they say, yeah, this, this place feels like home. And that's a really beautiful thing. And that's not something that I've brought about. That's been here a long while. But there's still like a whole bunch of people that like even know they need Jesus to make them well. But they don't know a church where they can do that, where they can feel that, where they can be told that. And, and it grieves me and it should grieve all of us that there are so many people in our city that, that are lacking in that way. But as I say, be, like, be encouraged. That's really wanna, where I want to end this. Uh, there have been people warned and sheltered and healed by what this community has to offer, like in more ways than, than people could know and, and more ways than you could think. So I'll finish instead of with a challenge for just saying thank you. The kingdom of God is like people who show love so generously that others cannot help but be drawn to it. So let's keep doing that and see what God has in store for this seed.